teachers and students are now in classrooms. Many parents are happy to have their children back to in-person learning, but the COVID complications of the last year and a half are creating challenges for teachers, students, and families. How are school staff and administrators working to help students cope after so many months of video classes and isolation? We'll discuss overcoming learning loss and the need to brush up on social skills today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Alaska USA has been on a journey with Alaskans since their first member account was opened in 1948. They'll be with you every step of the way through the challenges of today and the hopes of tomorrow. AlaskaUSA.org. This message sponsored by Alaska USA. Everyone is excited for the 2021-2022 school year. It's important to prepare for an active year ahead. Whether you play competitive sports or just enjoy being active, it's important to make your overall health a priority. So get your COVID-19 vaccine, stay active and involved, check in with friends and family, and bounce back from COVID together and make it a great year. This message sponsored by the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Hello, it's Talk of Alaska. I'm Lori Townsend. I met an eighth grade teacher out on the Anchorage trails recently. Our dogs had fun playing together, and I asked her how it was going with students back in class. She said it is both wonderful and stressful. Great to meet new students and have conversations in the classroom, but also stressful because, well, it's eighth grade. And the often seen clowning around or distracting hijinks that can accompany this age group have become much more pronounced and more difficult to manage. She said she's had to spend more time addressing poor behavior than reviewing lesson plans. Maintaining order and keeping a classroom focused is critical for learning. So how are other teachers and administrators handling the return to in-person learning challenges? Here to help us understand those challenges is Tom Claymeyer. Tom is the president of the National Education Association, Alaska. And Nathan Erfurth is the president of the Kenai Peninsula Education Association. Thanks for being here, both of you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You can also join our conversation, Alaskans. Do you have kids adjusting to the return to class? Are students reluctant to attend or eager to be back? Are you a teacher working to get students up to academic speed? Give us a call statewide. The number is 1-800-478-8255, 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email us questions or comments to talk at alaskapublic.org. Tom, I want you to start us off here. You said you heard from school staff last year that it was the hardest year ever, but now you're hearing that actually this year is harder. Talk about what you're hearing. What's What are the bigger challenges this year? Yeah, it's amazing um, the difference uh, two years can make in education. Um, you know, pre-COVID, there were certainly issues that we were dealing with, and it's always been a difficult uh, profession. Um, so many moving parts. It's so dynamic dealing with so many students and individual issues and uh, um, things uh, going on. And then the pandemic um, 
you know, exacerbated all of those. Uh, first, in terms of uh, moving to uh, uh, virtual learning and then um, trying to figure out how to best uh, reopen schools. And now um, it's kind of everything rolled into one. Um, uh, in order to keep schools open and safe, uh, doing all the mitigations and then and then uh, dealing with uh, um, differences in terms of kids and, and, and their engagement while they were uh, away or in some cases uh, lack of engagement. And, and then um, having to teach both in person and online now as so many students are absent either because uh, they're not coming back into schools yet or because of absences because of um, you know being a close contact or or contracting COVID and so uh, you know we talk about juggling balls in the air we just uh, doubled the number of balls and uh, it's becoming uh, really really uh, difficult on educators. Thank you for that, Tom. Nathan, how about for schools in your district? You have some small village schools and some larger community schools in in your district. How do the challenges differ? You said some of the teachers in schools in the Russian Orthodox villages are having to take on additional classes. Yeah, so just like Tom said, with the remote schools, and this is the case all over the state, um, I used to work out in the lower Yukon, and we had similar issues many years ago before the pandemic, where if you have an absence or somebody leaves uh, the village, then everybody who's left has to fill the void because those kids still need an education. They still need to be monitored and, and all of that sort of thing. So that means if a teacher leaves mid-year, which unfortunately is happening lately, um, the rest of the people have to split up the remaining class. So at one point, a couple of teachers in our school district were covering two or three grades simultaneously. And also in a lot of smaller schools, that's not necessarily uh, abnormal in the sense that, you know, you've got K-12 schools with just a handful of students in them, but they were beyond their capacity in terms of how many students they should be watching uh, just because there's nobody left. And on top of that, there's a sub shortage and that's complicated by two factors. Um, but the big one is that a lot of the subs that we normally can rely on uh, have chosen to not enter the schools uh, because some of our schools have masking, some of them don't. There's a lot of uncertainty, and then uh, there's additionally the behavior issues that you mentioned at the top of the show. Yeah, and we'll talk more uh, about that. Beyond the the teacher shortage concerns, and and I want us to talk more about that aspect as well, you had said previously that teachers say there is more work than ever at the base level. What's going on there? Describe that. So it's as far as what I consider to be, when I'm saying that, the base level of what a teacher does, it's... Uh, assessments to figure out where students are. You try to bring them up to the level that they should be at, um, or at least generate growth of some sort over a period of time. Uh, and then, you know, you further assess and communicate with parents and all that. Because of the fact that students have been out of school for a lot of last year, and then this year, additionally, out of school intermittently, in our particular school district, we have a close contact tracing policy where students can be out for two weeks, come back for a couple of weeks, then maybe they're close contacted again, et cetera. So they're in and out a lot. So that has left teachers with classrooms full of students with, with a much wider spectrum of skills and abilities. So you always have a classroom with students who are somewhere on a, on a spectrum of skills. This year, we have, you know, a fifth grade classroom uh, that normally will have most of their kids somewhere between the fourth and seventh grade reading level, something like that, that are looking at several kids in the first grade, second grade, third grade, all the way up to seventh. So 
the the spread and then trying to deal with that spread has become a lot more challenging. Mm, right. Nathan, you were a teacher until last spring. Do you anticipate that you'll be back in the classroom at some point? At some point, yeah, of course. I would love to go back to the classroom. And like Tom said, it's it's amazing how much can change in a short period of time because last year was difficult. I was in the classroom during the COVID year, um, but now so much has changed that I, I really feel like I need to reconnect with a lot of teachers and find out what's going on. Uh, but yeah, at some point I'd like to teach again for sure. If you're just joining us, this is Talk of Alaska, and today we're discussing students being back in class and helping them overcome learning loss and uh, dealing with some of the social skills that they may need to brush up on. You can join our conversation at 1-800-478-8255. That's the number statewide. If you're having challenges getting your kids consistently back in class, if you're seeing that it's been tough for them to adjust, or you're a teacher trying to uh, straddle the in-person and remote learning at the same time. 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Tom, you noted that uh, class sizes have increased almost everywhere, and it's not just larger in-person classes. You mentioned that there's a percentage of students attending class remotely. How how much have classes have class sizes increased, and and do you have an idea of how many students are attending remotely? Um, yeah, that varies uh, from district to district, and even school to school. Um, if you you know uh, look at the urban areas, uh, most of the urban areas set up dedicated online sort of virtual schools, and um, they had a significant portion of students move over to there. But it's hard to say percentages because, uh, like I said, it's all across the board. Um, other places uh, may not have a dedicated system, but are asking um, teachers to do both uh, instruction for the kids in the room and the kids at home at the same time, or if not at the same time, duplicating online what they're doing in the class um, So, for the kids that are uh, at home uh, learning virtually. Uh, much of it also has to do with um, the shortage of educators, um, not just for teachers, but in um, many of our career fields for our paraprofessionals and other um, education support professionals um, in that, uh, you know, I was just uh, visiting out at a, a rural school and one of the teachers uh, um, that was newly hired in August uh, made it till September and they couldn't uh, take it anymore and they left. And so uh, there's a cascading effect that happens, especially in uh, rural Alaska, where they'll end up combining classes. Um, so now instead of just having a fifth grade teacher, you have a fourth and fifth grade combo, or instead of a fourth and fifth grade combo, it's now you know first through fourth grade combo, something like that. Um, or um, they'll take their one reliable sub that used to kind of bounce around in the building for um, absences, and they're now dedicated to that class. Even though they're not certificated, they're taking that one class. Um, but then now there's a subbing issue because you're, uh, you know, you're uh, uh, the person you count on to be that sub is now tied up in that classroom, filling in for the person who left. 
um, and then you pull somebody from somewhere else because the the uh, labor pool isn't very deep, um, just the number of people available to come in and do these kinds of jobs. And so now you pull a paraprofessional that used to be working with uh, particular students is now the sub. And, and then you need to find somebody to be the paraprofessional or that position goes unfilled. Um, there are some days they wonder if uh, they're going to have any food service workers, or if you look out at Matsu, they're doing uh, rolling uh, blackouts for bus routes because they don't have enough uh, drivers. And so this is all across the board. Right. That's an important note that it's not just, I mean, that's huge to have a strain on teachers and having them having to double or triple up the class loads that they're taking on or even the grades but it's also all the other support staff as well. Nathan, follow up here with your observations. Tom was talking about, you know, the need to have kids, uh, a teacher's going to have to deal with kids both remote and in person, sometimes blending those classes together, which must be challenging, sometimes having to double up and, and do separate classes. The, the impact of uncertainty, I think uh, Tom spoke about that before today, Kids love to hate on school. That's uh, kind of um, been going on since forever. But there is comfort in routine and things being boringly the same from day to day. It's the Mr. Rogers model. But for young people who are in unstable homes or maybe experiencing homelessness, school offers reassuring structure and order. And that's been so disrupted. Have you, are you starting to get a handle on how much that cycle of disruption has affected mental health for students? Absolutely. We've seen a lot of effects of the instability of all of that. I actually just spoke at our school board meeting last night about the need to remember Maslow's hierarchy, where you have to have those basics of food, water, shelter, safety, um, and all of those different elements that you need before you can even start growth and to start learning you need to have all of those base elements there and as you said a lot of the time many of our students find those at their school uh, so not having I, I would say our food service workers uh, and our districts did a pretty good job of delivering food last year and all that kind of thing. but not having regular consistent access to this is very detrimental and we see that not just in test scores but in personality changes and in behaviors and things like that just like we always have but I would say that the, the fundamentals of structure are how we all learn. You all have to have some sort of a scaffold on which you can build. And that comes from regular attendance. That comes from regular routine and expectation. And just sometimes by necessity and sometimes due to decision-making, uh, those things have fallen apart. And students do share with us a lot of the time that, you know, this is really hard. This is the hardest year the kids have ever had, too. Um, and they're uncertain of their futures. Uh, there was already a lot of uncertainty about what am I going to do after high school? And, and now there's real concern in a lot of our, especially older students, of what are they even going to do in school, let alone getting out of school. Right, yes. Tom, uh, I want to go back to you on the same issue. You had talked about the social and emotional growth that happens during 7th and 8th grade in particular. And as I mentioned in the open, I talked to an 8th grade teacher who said behavior in class was the, a big issue and sort of overshadowed the learning loss, and she can't help students get caught up on their studies if they're jacking around in class. What are you hearing about this, and how is it being handled? Yeah, absolutely. Um the, uh, Nathan uh, spoke to it well in terms of uh, the routines and the structure that kids need. And 
you know, it's it's uh, often for many kids, uh, the most structure they have in their lives is at school. And having that have been absent in the last few years or disrupted, I really like the way you um, phrase that, uh, Lori, talking about the disruption of learning. I, I prefer that to say learning loss. I, I think we forget that, you know, it's, it, we haven't lost learning, um, that these kids have um, endured a pandemic. And learning has absolutely in, uh, occurred still, um, but their learning environment has been disrupted. And, and I think that's to your point here in terms of not only the academics, maybe there are content gaps um, for various students and some need to catch up more than others, uh, but also the behavioral issues that we're seeing where they didn't have the structure of school. Um, in the case of middle school, you know, you've already got that uh, mix of hormones that's unique to middle schoolers, but you've got eighth graders who really um, didn't get a chance to develop through middle school. The last time they were in school face-to-face in some cases, um, consistently anyways, was sixth grade. So now you've got sixth graders returning to school as eighth graders or, you know, seventh graders returning to school as ninth graders or, you know, those kinds of things where um, they didn't have the practice. They, they didn't have that opportunity to socialize and mature and, and um, you know, be guided uh, through those uh, difficult years, especially in middle. But, you know, we're seeing it, too, with uh, second graders that um, had their kindergarten and first grade years uh, um, disrupted as well. And so, you know, learning to sit still or when when to be quiet or rules about uh, being polite or keeping our hands to ourselves, all of those kinds of things require practice. And, um, you know, educators are dealing with it. It, it is stressful, um, but um, I think uh, they're doing a wonderful job with what they have, um, but it's taking its toll for sure. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide if you'd like to join the conversation. If you're ex- experiencing um, challenges in getting your kids back in class and keeping them there consistently, if they've been out for a long period of time and you're seeing some of the social skills disruption that needs to be addressed in your own student, your own children, or if you're a teacher or Uh, school staff person who is seeing these challenges up close, give us a call statewide 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. You can also email talk at alaskapublic.org. Nathan, uh, we've been talking a little bit about this, students being out of practice in their social skills and uh, the stress that that creates for both them and their instructors. Kids are lashing out more. Do you hear from them about where this anxiety and acting out is stemming from? Are they mirroring adult behavior that they're seeing in lashing out? Or uh, what, what is the conversation about where this stress is really coming from? Is it just in uncertainty? So the answer to all of those questions is yes. Um, The (laughs) students that I've talked to, and this is the case last year, they mirror and reflect and channel a lot of the conversations that happen at home and on the media and everything else. So when we talk about things like Tom made a great point about this, about learning loss and about falling behind, they they internalize that. And it becomes their personal narrative that I am behind. And when they walk into school on the first day this year, 
they were already in the mindset that I am a year behind. What am I going to do to catch up? And that's psychologically a lot, you know, for any age of students. And so I think my message to my students in my class last year was you're not behind. You're coping the same as the rest of us. Um, we are all going through this together. We're all going to make forward progress. It won't be the same amount of forward progress as we have made in years past, but it's going to be the right amount of progress for the time that we live in. And that's something that I think a lot of kids really need to hear is even if you are in seventh grade, but you are reading at a fifth grade level or you're in 12th grade, but you are quote unquote behind on whatever content area you're behind in, you are working your way through a pandemic with the rest of society. And that takes a lot of grit. So um, I think making sure that students hear that message above the, the panic to get kids back up to their grade level is really important. And just remembering uh, when we look at our test results for uh, standardized testing and compare district results and growth between years and all that sort of thing, we remember what happened, you know, from 2019 through 2021 so far. And that explains why those numbers are a little bit lower. And that's just a reality of having a human society that had to go through a major traumatic event like this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, you know, for so many young people, it's the first time to see such a, uh, not only a national, but a worldwide situation that um, has caused stress for everyone. I, I probably know the answer to this because we have certainly been talking about shortages, but do schools have enough counselors or at least access to mental health professionals to help students deal with this emer emotional turmoil? I would say no, and not because the counselors that we have aren't doing a great job. They're phenomenal. Our, our counselors and our school psychologists are literally saving lives every single day. They're fantastic. But we already were short-staffed in counseling and mental health support services for our students well before the pandemic started. Uh, and this has been an ongoing conversation for decades about how much of that type of support belongs in schools. But as we were discussing before, schools were, are where a lot of that type of support happens. And since we have this huge event and all of the chaos out in the world and all that stress, kids need a lot of extra support. Right. And Tom, um, what are you hearing from across the state about this need for emotional, psychological help and support and uh, how schools are trying to provide that for students who are stressed out? Yeah, I think it's the system uh, itself that is, that's stressed um, in you know, we've got to remember, I think, before the pandemic even, you know, according to a study by the Academy of Pediatrics, one-third of our students that came to school at kindergarten weren't academically or maybe um, socially, behaviorally ready in rural Alaska. That That's even uh, more acute. And so I think what the pandemic has done is, you know, even widened those cracks in the system and put more stress on that um, on the system, and there weren't enough counselors, there weren't enough nurses, there weren't enough social workers, there weren't enough principals or teachers or paraprofessionals in the first place, and, and now it's gotten worse um, between this being so much more difficult and educators uh, leaving, uh, whether it's um, unable to recruit replacements for others that have left or retired early as a result, uh, whether it's um, people uh, having other opportunities in other career fields and leaving education altogether, um, it's got a compounding effect. Um, there are places they're doing, um, you know, uh, um, 
counseling services or um, occupational therapy, physical therapy remotely with uh, speech pathology, kids in front of a computer with somebody in the lower 48 to work on their speech. Um, that's really difficult. It's not the best way to serve kids. Um, districts are struggling to do what they can to meet the needs of students. But really, in Alaska, we've got to ad address the fundamental underlying problems um, that lead to those shortages that the pandemic just exacerbated. Mm, absolutely. Uh, I want to read a, an email that we got in from Howard, who says, I am a retired middle school teacher who talks to a lot of current teachers, and I can attest to the fact that our educators are very stressed by the behavior difficulties and the so social emotional health of our students. Howard writes, the fact that many of our students were away from the classroom for 18 months, I would just like to thank all of our teachers for their service and their hard work and urge our state and local governments to do everything in their power to support student learning when it comes to budgeting this spring. So thank you, Howard, for that note. Tom, where are the bright spots in education this year? What regions stand out for things that you see that are really um, showing some promise on the horizon and areas that are really having some, uh, some big struggles, either with infrastructure or connectivity or other things that affect learning? Yeah, I think the bright spot is that um, we've got dedicated professionals in every school across the entire state and every district, and they are doing their best to work with the kids. Um, I think kids um, inherently want to learn. Um, they enjoy school. Um, I'm a high school uh, uh, teacher, and so sometimes we feel that less than with the kindies, uh, but I you know, having the school uh, environment so disrupted um, and seeing the joy that everybody had almost universally in returning uh, to face-to-face -face instruction where they could, where it was safe, um, that everybody um, uh, um, universally, right, we're, we're on the mend in, in that regard. Not that it's not difficult, not that it's not stressful for students, stressful uh, sort of that secondary trauma on educators, um, but we're we're working hard there's lots of dedicated uh professionals and adults and parents that are working hard to overcome this and to get past it and it's going to take time uh, and it's going to take grace um and so I, I i naturally am optimistic anyways i i became a teacher because i think kids represent hope um, I think ed the education system is the linchpin to um, progress in society. And so for all of those reasons, I have faith that we'll get through it. Um, but you're right to mention um, some of the other uh, underlying issues that are problematic. Um, uh, funding for the state has been flat for almost a decade. Um, there have been um, spits uh, and, um, you know, attempts to do a little bit of additional funding outside of the education formula, but those have been temporary and fleeting. Um, um, forward funding was attempted um, to provide some stability. Um, we need that to be uh, consistent. Um, there needs to be an increase, obviously, in funding. Um, there has been another bright spot, I guess, is the COVID relief money that's been uh, made available from the federal government to assist with mitigation and assist with um, these other factors. And so um, that's a bright spot. 
that um, there were a lot of uh, uh, financial pressures placed on districts to have to do school um, in an environment where state funding hadn't kept up with inflation for so long, and there was relief to be able to provide all of those extras that uh, needed to be done uh, to return to school safely uh, um, or to increase capacity for online learning. Um, and, and, you know, there's lots of lessons to be learned uh, about online learning. We, we realized we weren't ready for it. Um, we, many people had looked to that as a cost-saving panacea, and, and we know that's not the case. Um, although, collectively, um, there have been uh, advances made in um, online education that um, make it a better tool for educators to be able to use with their kids. Um, but we have to invest in the infrastructure of schools. I mean, in, in the Pakiak, uh, the school um, came within uh, 30 feet of the river uh, as the river eroded closer. And this has, you know, uh, been happening for the last several years, um, unrelated to the pandemic. And that school was fourth on the state's list um, for repairs. And so if this school is in danger of being washed away, and it's only fourth, what were the condition of the other three schools that, that were ahead of it on the list? Um, we're, we're dealing with issues like that. There was a moratorium on uh, uh, reimbursement for districts for that kind of infrastructure. Almost every district I know of is behind in their deferred maintenance. Um, um, the, uh, uh, every, every district has a shortage of employees in almost every job category, and we need to address um, those fundamental problems if we're going to uh, um, come out of this on the upside. Well, thank you for uh, capturing a lot of what the additional challenges are. And, and also, you know, as we've mentioned, uh, there are challenges for, for families that are have been grappling with trying to homeschool. I was reading uh, uh, an opinion piece from Mercedes O'Leary from Homer that was written um, just recently and picked up by the Anchorage Daily News. She's homeschooling her kids, 7 and 11, and uh, went on to talk about all the joy and rage that uh, is contained in that. She said the factors in choosing homeschool were the rapid rise in Delta variant cases, a loose mask if you want policy in their school district, kids too young to receive vaccines, and the medical system straining with sudden COVID. She says... We have good days and rough days, but mostly I'm eager to return to a lifestyle where being mom doesn't also mean being teacher, janitor, principal, school nurse, and everything else. And I think that sentence in itself captured so much for me because that really uh, highlights all that parents have had to do in um, uh, trying to meet the test for helping their kids continue their education at home. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion about how to help students overcome learning disruption and uh, brush up on their social skills now that they're back in class as Talk of Alaska continues statewide. Today's program is underwritten in part by... ConocoPhillips, investing in oil exploration and production and working to create economic opportunities for Alaskans. ConocoPhillips, unlocking Alaska's energy resources. Alaska USA has been on a journey with Alaskans since their first member account was opened in 1948. They'll be with you every step of the way, through the challenges of today and the hopes of tomorrow. AlaskaUSA.org. This message sponsored by Alaska USA.
Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We are discussing students, helping students overcome learning disruption and um, helping them get back on track with their social skills after a lot of isolation and video classes for 18 months. It's a long time for students to be out of classrooms, and now many of them are back, which is great but it is a, a big transition. You can join our conversation if you'd like. We have guests today, Tom Claymeyer, who is the president of the National Education Association for Alaska, and Nathan Erfurth is the president of the Kenai Peninsula Education Association, and both are teachers. Tom is still in the classroom, and Nathan will return to the classroom at some point. You can join our conversation if you're a parent grappling with the issues, if you're a uh, a teacher or an administrator or maybe your support staff in school, such critical positions helping to keep everything running smoothly. Give us a call, 1-800-478-8255, 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. How has the challenge to coursework changed in recent years? Politics sometimes make their way into schools. There's always been flare-ups through the years around certain books or sex education, but there seems to be more anger and vitriol at school board meetings now. How would you characterize that? It seems like parents want a lot more control and say over curriculum, but is that true? Is that really kind of playing itself out? Uh, Nathan, let's go to you, and then, Tom, you can give us that statewide look. Sure. I think what I've seen, um, obviously, there's been a lot more contention in school boards um, across the country, but also locally. Um, what I'm actually seeing, though, is is less. It's less that parents are wanting direct control over curriculum. That's that's a lot of what they're saying. But from what other conversations that I've had have led me to believe that what everyone really is looking for is some sense of control over something. Because everything has been so chaotic, because everything is unpredictable um, and challenging, and that's not just for schools, that's for every sector of the economy right now uh, as well. Because of that, people are kind of reaching out to the things that they can control. Um, I had a couple of conversations with parents about that last year where it was, it, you know, the phone call started off pretty rough and why are you assigning this and this is too difficult and I can't believe, you know, that kind of thing. But once we started talking about it, it was much more I really just want to help my kid. I really want my kid to succeed. I don't want them to have to struggle through all of this. And so they're trying to do what they can to protect their kids from the chaos outside. And you did say something really important there in terms of the general discourse in public right now. A lot of the public discourse, and this has been the case for decades, obviously, but especially now, um, target schools. And, and sometimes that's for political points for politicians. Uh, and that's a both sides issue. Um, and sometimes uh, that is you know, just because there's organized campaigns to do this, that or the other thing politically. And what I really think students, parents, administrators, teachers and support staff, everyone really needs is for us to be able to reestablish that sort of safe boundary around schools where the outside world uh, and all of the chaos of the outside world stays outside. And then when we come to our classrooms to learn, we have our, our uh, curriculum, we have our procedures, we have the way that we learn in our classrooms, and it's a structured environment, back to that structure there. Uh, those kinds of reestablishments of boundaries and kind of trusting our professionals. And this, this spans 
our uh, teachers and also our support staff. I can't leave them out because they they support the schools and keep them running just the same as we do, especially these days. Um, trusting our professionals to do their job is paramount. And, and having that professional respect and understanding of the educators that work with your kids, we go through a lot of training. We go through continuous education. Uh, we really deliberately think about the stuff that we do um, and making sure that we give teachers some space and some breathing room to actually do that education without the constant reaching into schools to try and manipulate things and whatever else. Students do well in schools. They really do. Um, they, they love to be there. They do love to learn. And like you said at the beginning, yeah, they, of course, like to make fun of and complain about schools. <laughs> no strangers to that. But, you know, give them some space. Give the schools a little bit of breathing room, uh, and you will see the types of results that, and growth that you're looking for. Tom, follow up there. Uh, what are you hearing from administrators, teachers, school support staff across the state about uh, challenges to coursework and um, how policies within schools? Uh, does it, as I said to Nathan, it seems like parents want a lot more control and say over curriculum, but are you, are you hearing that expressed more broadly across the state? Yeah, we're, we're hearing that in sort of uh, certain political um, echo chambers, um, but uh, and, and it shows up um, at hotly contested um, um, school board meetings sometimes when an issue comes up. But I would say that uh, I, I, there are absolutely opportunities for parents to get involved. Every school district that I've ever dealt with um, has a review process for curriculum that's adopted, um, and they welcome community and parent input in that process. Um, and then it has to be evaluated, too, by the content experts, the, those in education that um, are familiar with um, the content, familiar with the standards, um, and, and as Nathan said, um, trust those um, professionals to be able to make the best decisions for students uh, for that school environment. Um, but absolutely, uh, parents should have input um, and, and school districts should be transparent about um, the processes in, in choosing curriculum. Uh, I, uh, I hope that people that now feel like they want to be more involved or need to be more involved do more than come to a school board meeting to express their opinion. I would invite them to get involved in those processes and learn what's going on. And, you know, some of the devils that they're worried about um, in between the covers of books aren't really there. And I think if they were involved in the processes, they would see that and that trust um, that we're talking about in the system could return um, and, and because of their cooperation and their participation in that process. And do you see a better place for those kind of conversations about what kind of books are you using and what is your lesson plan? Should that be uh, something that is addressed in PTA, in parent-teacher associations, or is the school board meeting the better place for parents to bring concerns? I think it's all of those. We All adults that have concerns about students and what they're learning ought to be having those conversations, whether it's PTA or the school board meeting or inviting a school board member out to uh, coffee to talk about it one-on-one -on -one, or um, being involved in a curriculum committee or you know, um, with other elected officials or other parent groups. Absolutely all of those things. But I think what we need is depoliticize it. We need to take out 
the emotion. We need to take out the vitriol that we're currently hearing. People often are upset about um, things that aren't occurring um, and, and, um, or upset because they feel left out of a process. Um, I would say to school board members, to administrators, to superintendents, that this is an ideal time to invite those people in um, to help. And the more people we have involved that care about kids, the better the results are going to be. Absolutely. I, I want to drill down a little bit there on the political heat in just a moment, but let's go to the phones right now. Carl is in Anchorage. Carl's a retired teacher. Hi, Carl. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Bravo. All right. Hey, yeah, thank you so much for taking the call. So um, I'm a retired teacher and principal in Alaska for over 30 years. And for the last 10 years, have been working as a trainer and consultant, really supporting schools all over the country, but many of them here in Alaska, primarily in rural Alaska. So, um, you know, effective educators have a knack for looking for the good, no matter what happens. And so uh, one of the things that uh, we reinforce in um, the classroom management trainings that are provided is um, inviting our teachers to be highly conscious of things we call racial interactions, paying more attention to the appropriate behaviors than to those that are maybe misbehaviors or less appreciated. But also effective teachers provide a lot of structure and routine, as been mentioned already this morning, um, and they um, uh, recognize that there's a lot of things that are out of their control. And instead of getting all worked up over those things, they instead put their energy and focus in the things that we know from research we can control within the classroom. And so in light of that background, I just want to do a couple of shout outs of the things that are going really well in spite of the challenges that our educators are facing and our students and families as well. They're all really heroes in the same way that our health care providers are heroes. And so, for example, I've been working with um, uh, like uh, 15 schools in Bering Strait, 10 schools in Lower Yukon, uh, probably 20 or so schools in Lower Kuskokwim School District. For the last seven years, we've had, we, we, we have individuals who are classroom teachers who are freed up to go and do classroom observations where we actually measure student engagement. We measure these things called racism interactions. We measure other indicators of effective classroom management, um, student behavior, and learning. And uh, interestingly, our most recent data collection that just really just happened in this last month, um, for example, in Bering Straits, we measured the highest student engagement that we've measured in the last seven years. Wow. So we have lots of hypotheses as to what's going on. Um, one is kids are really happy to be back in school. They're not going to do anything to mess up to get kicked out. <laughs> that's one thing that's been said. But it's also, I think, a, re a reflection of how hard our teachers are working to create this loving, nurturing, welcoming environment that's filled with structure that brings comfort to children when things are kind of uncertain. Mm -hmm. It should also be noted that some of our students, maybe some of our most challenging behaviors, it's very possible they're not in school. You know, we don't have the full um, enrollment that we um, have had because of the disruptions of the pandemic. And so there's a lot of variables, but we shouldn't um, ignore the fact 
that there are some really good things happening. The fact that we've had some of the highest engagement in uh, in uh, Lower Yukon School District mm-hmm. in uh, Bering Strait is like this is um, compelling for us to celebrate and to recognize children are resilient, teachers are resilient, and in spite of the hardships they're facing, they endure on. All the things that have been said earlier today, I couldn't agree more with. Boy, we need to invest more in our schools, whether it's the physical plant or a teacher retirement system that invites teachers here and keeps them here, all of those things. So thank thank you you so much. Yeah, thank you, Carl, uh, for pointing out that there are bright spots and there is good. We absolutely need to focus on those things. Um, It's been very bleak over the last 18 months. So any of those uh, bright rays that we can point to and uh, focus hope on for going forward are much appreciated. So thank you for that. We are going to take another very quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion about how to help students overcome learning disruption and brush up their social skills on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. If you have health insurance through Medicare, now's the time to make changes to your Part D prescription drug plan. Between now and December 7th, you can enroll in, change, or drop your prescription drug plan. Check your plan to see if you need to adjust your insurance coverage. Need help deciding which one is best for you? Call Alaska's Medicare Information Office at 907-269-3680 or toll-free 800-478-6065. This message sponsored by DHSS. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We're discussing disruptions to learning over the past 18 months and how students and teachers and school administrators and staff are coping and helping students get uh, caught back up and uh, kind of normalize being back in class again. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide if you'd like to join our conversation if you're a parent or a a teacher or school staff member and you're trying to help out. We just heard a, a good message from a former teacher about some good things that are happening in school districts across the state, and it's wonderful to hear those messages. 1-800-478-8255 or in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. My guests today are Tom Claymeyer, the president of NEA Alaska, and Nathan Erfurth, the president of the Kenai Peninsula Education Association. So for both of you, NPR featured a story in October, it's on our website, about national groups who are fundraising and offering assistance to parents who want to challenge school boards on all kinds of things. Have you seen this, any of this playing out in Alaska with protesters getting advice or templates for how to protest from organizations outside of the state? I, I don't know if Nathan has in his school district. I, I haven't heard too much of, of that. And I would hope that those kinds of divisive tactics aren't used in Alaska to weaponize schools against kids. Um, I think the, uh, a much better tact is for us to work together uh, and where systems can be accru- improved to collaborate and work together to make um, school systems that meet the needs for students and, and for their parents, um, that, that we should uh, do that. Um, I think that's much more productive and in the long run is going to find solutions rather than uh, kind of gearing up and funding. uh, I'd rather fund schools than fund a war against schools. Yeah, absolutely. Nathan, any inkling of that in your region? 
I haven't really seen anything to that level. Um, I would say that I definitely hear talking points that come from organizations like that repeated to me sometimes on the phone or from um, people that are speaking, you know, giving testimony at school board meetings. Um, but same thing as Tom. I really believe that if we're going to be at our school board meetings, uh, and I earlier I didn't want to give the impression I don't want parents involved at all, uh, just following the process. You know, we have a very mature process for handling concerns and ideas about education. Um, that's not the place for larger political battles. That's not the place for all of the culture war stuff that's going on in broader public discourse. That's the place for, as Tom said, you know, if you've got concerns or whatever, bring them to the school board in a productive and constructive way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what that's for. We do have that venue. All right. Thank you for that. Let's go back to the phones for a moment. Brenda is endearing. Hi, Brenda. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I've been listening to you, and I just wanted to say um, that a person doesn't learn, start learning when he goes to school. He learns from the day he is born, and he quits learning on the day that he dies. I don't know. I felt compelled to call in and tell you that. But I just wanted to say that, and thank you for taking my call. Bye. Thank you, Brenda. And that's such a, an excellent point that learning happens everywhere and every day and should for all of us. Um, I saw a note on Twitter this morning by a school administrator here in Alaska who said that education should be reinvented, that it should be uh, year round. There should be breaks for all four seasons, but the, the education should be continuous and uh, a four day school week. Also, um, he was advocating for more outdoor and project-based learning, which kind of gets back to what Brenda was saying, how, you know, it's not just the classroom where you're learning things. What do you think about these ideas, Tom, this idea of going to a a year-round school setting and shortening the week, but also including other types of learning? Yeah, absolutely. I think all of those things should be considered. Um, the you know having done some things uh, differently during the pandemic has um, increased the conversation about what we can improve in schools. We're always looking for ways to do better to meet the needs of kids uh, more, um, and 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 I think those are great conversations. I, I would defer to what's best in each local community for their school system, for their students. Um, There's certainly value in outdoor education, but for every person that says we need more outdoor education and physical activity, there's gonna be another person that says we need to be back to basics. Kids need to be in their seats and learn math. And and I would say that both of those things have value and it is up to the local school districts, um, local school leaders um, and their communities and parents to be able to, to devise those kinds of activities and schedules that um, frankly provide options for all kids some kids are going to do really well uh, at math, and they're not as great at football. Other kids uh, want to become um, wildlife biologists, and, and so they're going to engage better um, in the kind of environment that um, was spoken of uh, uh, with outdoor activities. And um, 
So I think that if we provide those options, not every school has to be the same, and provide um, different types of schooling for different types of kids so that we can meet each of them uh, at, at their strength, where they learn best and where they want to be engaged. Um, a student that is engaged and motivated is going to be a better student. And so we should provide all of those kinds of options uh, across the board um, uh, for kids and their families. Nathan, your thoughts about going to year-round school? Um, I have I have mixed thoughts about that. I really think it's a, a good idea to do exactly what Tom said, which is consider what that community needs. We have several schools uh, in our school district that are on variance calendars that match up to what local customs and local um, culture needs uh, so that there's space at the right time of year for various ceremonies and, and practices. And I think that's really important because, you know, nationwide, we kind of have this, uh, generally speaking, we have the long summer and then we have school for the, the rest of those nine months. And that's an agrarian calendar. And that works for a lot of places, but maybe it doesn't in some places. And we could go to a year long, uh, you know, quarterly, have three-week break, that sort of thing. That's what it was like for me in elementary school. Um, but I think keeping our options open and allowing those who do want to you know, reinvent education and create different opportunities, absolutely. I think there's no reason why not. I think that we could have a lot more uh, emphasis and availability for trade-based education as well. Um, there's a lot of options, but what this all really comes down to, if we're if we're being pragmatic, is funding for schools uh, to reinvent and to build new programs and all that. We need people. Um, that's going to be our greatest asset in being able to make all those things happen. And in the schools that I've been in, uh, the contraction of funding over the last several years and the reductions in staffing and all that has reduced options for just basic electives. Um, and after-school activities and things like that. So we have to regain a lot of ground. Um, but yes, yeah, we could do those kinds of things. Well, let's talk a little bit about that uh, need for more staffing. Uh, KTOO, one of our partners um, in Juneau, found, uh, re- for, through their reporting, found that teacher turnover has been hanging around 20% for the past decade. One in five teachers leaves each year. I would imagine that shortages are more pronounced this year, but the there is uh, the Teacher Retention and Recruitment Action Plan that was developed in uh, April of, of 2021 out of the governor's working group on teacher retention and recruitment that, that, that started in 2020. The big takeaways don't mention wages, but do mention retirement. Nathan, do there's six items uh, here... And do you think that they kind of capture what you're hearing from departing teachers? They cover strengthening working conditions, developing leadership, restructuring retirement, enhancing recruitment efforts and opportunities, creating paraprofessional pathways, streamlining certification and recertification. You mentioned some of these things, but do these sort of track with what you're hearing? And and, um, what do you think about this plan? They do track with what I'm hearing. Uh, The the single largest concern for most educators in terms of all of that is the lack of an actual retirement with dignity. Um, We have, if you were hired since 2006, there's no pension or anything like that. It's a defined contribution. So we're putting money in a savings account, and even the state calculated that you're going to run out most likely before you reach life expectancy um, if you retire after the customary number of years. So that's that's the big thing. Um, And with all the stress of this year, I unfortunately have been hearing far more people give me a call and ask, how do I either get out of my contract or how do I retire early or how do I you know, get out of the school district and go somewhere else? Um, 
because we don't have those those fundamentals that a lot of other states do have. Uh, so having a better and, and wages are always important. Of course, we're slowly losing ground on that, but I. I, I really think that the retirement is the key thing for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. And and Tom, uh, I want to get back to you in our last minute here. People my age have worried for years about young people and the connection to a screen for social interaction rather than real life, eye-to-eye conversations and social gatherings. Now COVID is layered over that growing tendency to see your friends online and to converse over text rather than at the local cafe or teen center Do you think this deeper social setback will be temporary, or will it take some real focused counseling to help many students get back to being comfortable with others in person? It seems like there's some real anxiety cropping up for young people in that regard. Yeah, this is something that certainly goes beyond our school system, but we have to be careful as we utilize some of these online tools for school. Um, You know, we talk about being digitally more connected than ever. Um, but unfortunately, the price uh, that we pay, the trade-off, is that often uh, we become personally disconnected. And so that's something that uh, we've got to work on as um, a society, I believe. Um, I think that's part of what we're seeing that's bleeding over into the divisiveness in political um, venues as well. Um, but I'd like to get back to the question that you asked Nathan a little bit about um, the the results of the task force. The Um, If you look at the survey that they did of over 4,000 certificated members across the state and the question that they asked about um, what things about work influence their decision to stay, what can, you know, to attract and retain the best educators, if you look at that question in particular, the the top 10 responses of those, four were about retirement, four were about salary, one was health benefits, and one was working conditions. And so... Um, teachers in the state have the worst retirement system in all 50 states because uh, anybody hired as a teacher after 2006, um, they don't have a defined benefit retirement or pension, nor do they have uh, Social Security. Now, it's a little bit different with some of our other categories of educators, um, but there's been studies that have been done by the state of Alaska themselves that show that um, that only about a third of uh, educators who retire will have enough money in retirement. That means two-thirds will not, and and then having no safety net um, to fall back on. Um, so that, that same article that you referred to earlier from KTOO, the, um, they interviewed um, a former teacher of the year who mm-hmm. left the state. Um, because of that very fact. And so we've got to um, do our best for attraction and retention and fixing our retirement system and funding for education have got to be top two priorities. Well, thank you so much to my guests today, Tom Claymeyer, the president of NEA Alaska, and Nathan Erfurth, the president of the Kenai Peninsula Education Association. Thanks to our engineer, Tobin Shelby, and our producer, Adlin Baxter, on the phones today, Kavitha George as almost every week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. I'm Lori Townsend.
Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media. Thank you.